This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. You can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases when you sign up for direct deposit. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. So buckle up, Buttercup. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. Marcus, Morgan, John, how you guys doing? Good. You need to find a better way to intro. Okay, you, you want to make sure? Hey, it's getting old. You want to intro me? What's up, everybody? Podcast listener? No, I don't want to intro. Oh, hey, yeah. What did we call him? Sexy Sweets? What was it? What was it? Oh, I like that one. I would, I would have never called him that. Yeah, baby. <laughs> they call me Sexy Sweets. Cheese Donkey was the one he threw out. Cheese uh, Donkey. Cheese donkey. Oh, right. come on. Right. Come on. You said it. Come to the, the stage. Cheese Donkey. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. But right. with, with the voice. Though. I digress. Cheese Donkey. There you go. All right, guys. Patreon question today. I've got two. I've got one that I kind of made up here on the spot, and then I've got one from the listeners. I'm going to start off with the listeners, which is, what is the most spontaneous thing you've done lately? Oh, lately? Yeah, lately. No, I'm a husband and a father. No, that's, I got kids, There's man. no, spo- I mean, no spontaneity no. at all in that one. <laughs> uh, I was thinking the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, Phil, right? what you got on that one? Yeah, I got. I you got, got something on that one, Phil? Because no I, I literally left. had to put some thought into spontaneity. that. Spontaneity was running for Congress spontane- spontaneous. <laughs> I, I spontaneous? No, <laughs> that was most certainly not it's planned. Spontaneous. Spontaneous. I don't know. In the timeline of spontaneity, spontaneity that was pretty spontaneous. No, it wasn't. There's a lot of thought that went into that. The most spontaneous thing. No, no, Mark's, no, no, no. There's a lot of thought. Spont- there's a lot <laughs> of thought the that goes to erecting the, the, no, no, no. the, the great, you know, the no, Empire State no. Building. No, and, no. Uh, hey, I put months of thoughts in that. Months of thoughts. I could have I swore, I could have swore None of us can talk. Okay. Nice. A lot faster than that. I thought it went a lot faster no, than that. No, it was, it was almost two months. I think the most spontaneous thing we've ever done was when we switched in buds. I don't know what you got. What'd you think about that, Phil? What you got on it? Oh my God. I mean, like, I'm like, yeah, I, I got three kids. So like, I used to be like, um, you know, I once spontaneously decided to go to the Thai Cambodian border, you know, like bribe a guy with cigarettes to take me to no man's land. Uh, now, uh, you know, like I spontaneously decided to make apple spice waffles for my children. It's a, oh, it's a oh yeah, there you go. Now. Okay. So I started drinking coffee a couple of days ago <laughs> for the first time. First time ever? Where I was, yeah, where I was kind of getting into it. <laughs> yeah, my schedule's so full, I can't, I can't be spontaneous at, I mean, at all. Yeah. Oh, uh, what about you? I've been trying to think about it. Did you, you make that anything, question? John? 
Yeah. No, no, this was not mine. Because this is a tough one. I don't think I'm very spontaneous. Yeah. We um, used to be. Yeah, I used to be some more, but yeah, I got kids now, so it's like... I got nothing. Well, what's the, what's the other question? The, the other one, since it's December that we're going to be releasing these episodes, what is your favorite Christmas carol? I've, I had somebody ask me that already. Really? Yeah. Joy to the world, probably. So I, I'm a Jingle Bells guy, but I mean, my favorite, like, well, Vince, song, Vince, 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 Vince and the Valiants. My favorite, our favorite song is All I Want for Christmas is You by Vince, Vance and the Valiants. Mm. Mariah Carey is a strong second. When she starts, when she cranks that voice up, man, it's like, if you haven't heard it, Vince, Vance and the Valiants. I like the, uh, I want for and Christmas then uh, the you. Pentonics, they do a Joy to the World is pretty good. Yeah. Oh. Silent Night. Silent Classic. Night. Classic. Oh, yeah. Um, who, who who does Carol the Bell? Carol the Bells. That heart. It's metal. The there's August Burns Red does it, but it's also the Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, there you go. That's good too. Little Drummer Boy. That was always one That's that I liked one. when I was a kid. I like. Uh, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Absolutely. I don't even know what it's called, but it's a Hawaiian that. one, <laughs> like. Uh, Mealy cock uh, something. Oh yeah, oh, that's oh, it. That's oh, a, oh, oh, vacation, Christmas vacation. Yeah. Christmas vacation. That's a, that's good, a good one. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my least favorite is. Uh, it's Christmas. You can't. That's not even. No, a thing. there is. Uh, I want a hippo- hippopotamus for Christmas. Oh yeah. Oh, I've never even heard that. I've never even heard that. Oh, y'all have heard it. Don't make me sing it because y'all are being just jerks. I just believe. I don't believe that it's singing. <laughs> terrible. Sing <laughs> <laughs> yourself terrible. something back just, in the day. No, bro. <laughs> no way, Phil. You got one. Oh, I like Silent Night. Um, we used to listen to like a Bing Crosby Christmas album. Oh yeah, uh, I, was too, yeah. So I got like fond memories of all those those uh, kind of classic songs. Yeah. Well, I know there's gonna be a, a montage that we missed out. Yeah, there's some White Christmas. Yeah, um, it's classic. There's Let's so many. It's cold outside. Oh yeah. I always go with uh, Twelve Days of Christmas. What's uh, oh, yeah. the opening of Lethal Weapon? Jingle Bell Rock. There you oh, go. that's a good one. Yeah. Which is the Lethal Weapons, a great Christmas movie. And it is a Christmas Most movie. Most people don't know that. It is. We're, we're putting that out if, for those who don't know. If you're, if you're in trouble for a Christmas show. So it's Die Hard. Now you guys know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Part it's, one. It's Christmas out there. Action. And two. Part one and two. All right, guys. If you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Patreon so that you can get in on the action with all these questions that we can answer sometimes we can't some other times. Make sure you subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube even. Uh, we've got 90,000 YouTube subscribers, guys. If we can get 100,000 before the end of the year, we get a plaque. That's not even a joke. We get like a That's silver a plaque from YouTube. Right, yeah. Hanging on the wall? We don't yeah. need another plaque, so let's, let's keep that at 90. 100, 90. <laughs> <laughs> There's too much stuff on the walls. Hey, Nine. We've got a great guest in store today. Phil Cly is an American author and veteran of the United States Marine Corps from Westchester, New York. Upon graduating Dartmouth College, Cly served. Oh, in wait, Ar- wait, wait, wait! Did I say it wrong? Dartmouth, Dartmouth, Dartmouth. What a I didn't jackass. say Dart. No, I didn't say Dartmouth. <laughs> <That> Dartmouth. <laughs> now you just made me sound like a real dummy. Morgan's up for intros next time. Mm. His debut collection of short stories. We made you sound like that? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Good catch, bro. Redeployment was published in March 2014, and his newest novel, Missionaries, was published in October 2020. Redeployment won the National Book Award for Fiction in 2014. Phil, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. Coming to the stage. What's that mascot on top of that? It's a lion, dude. I know what it, but I mean, what's it represent? Strength. 
Honestly, I have no <laughs> idea. Honor, <laughs> courage. You see the rim's been pulled down, obviously. Strong. Oh, yeah, man. Things been damaged. Hey, man, thanks for doing this, by the way. So, you go from rock climber into the Marine Corps, and you're a PAO, <laughs> and now I, I, I need to back it up. Where, where'd you, where were you born? Where'd you come from? White Plains, New York. Yeah. All right. So, 1983, same year as the music video for Thriller came out. Good year Ooh, to be born. Such a good video. Still the best. Yeah. Freaks my kids it's out. It's number one on Halloween's uh, all-time uh, videos, right? You don't have a very heavy accent. What's up with that? What? Just talk the way I talk. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting, especially when you threw that Queens thing out. We got some buddies here from Queens, man. They, it's hard to follow them sometimes. It's you got a good accent. It's a good right. accent. Back it on up. How'd you get in the Marine Corps? So uh, we were at war when I was in college, right? I uh, went to uh, uh, went to college, started college in September 2001. I was actually on the Appalachian Trail when the towers were hit. So we like, I never like, you know, I wasn't watching it on the news because we were out in the woods. We didn't have ac- you know access to anything. We didn't know what was going on, but we'd meet people who were like, you know, somebody flew a plane into um, the World Trade Center, and then at first we didn't think that it was. Yeah, we thought that it was like the sort of thing that you tell people to screw with them when they're, you know, out in nature, right? Uh, disconnected from civilization. And then it became clear that really happened. And we went back and found out what, what had, you know, gone on. So we were very quickly in Afghanistan. And then, you know, soon we were going to be in Iraq. I'd always been interested in foreign policy. When I was a, you know, I was in high school, I wanted to join the foreign service. Like I wasn't, I wasn't a kid who like grew up being fascinated by the military, or like really wanted to be in the military. But, uh, always believed in public service uh, very strongly. And, you know, that was something that was important to my parents. Uh, my dad was in the Peace Corps, which is not exactly the Marine Corps, um, but definitely public service abroad. My mother worked in sort of international, um, like medical aid, humanitarian medical aid for, for years. So the idea of, you know, doing something of service was important to me. And we were at war in two countries when I graduated from college. So it seemed like that was the right thing to do, to join the military and, and try and be of service in some way. There needs to be an American humanitarian services, unless it's a thing already. I, I notice when we do our humanitarian aid and then we go to war, we we, we show up on the same vessels in the same uniforms mm-hmm. a lot of times. At the time we're out in the country, it, it, I mean, if, if everyone had to serve two years, if there was a program, I mean, we got the, the ships and the planes and just kind of shift that over. And there is, there's humanitarian service, and then there's the military. Like, you got to put pick one, Right. And do two mm-hmm. years in, and 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 just just to get a concept of what it's like to leave this place. I mean, we already have it established, and yeah. I think everybody else would benefit from. Like, if you don't know what to do, I mean, you don't have to grab a rifle. There is a hum- that, and I get the Peace Corps. I'm not trying to take away from that either, but you know, when you when you have the backing of the military, like that'd be the big brother of it. Mm-hmm. It kind of runs together. I just think that would be beneficial for the the younger generation. I think I think service in general. You know, and look, not everybody not everybody wants to go in the military or belongs in the military, to be frank, you know, uh, I don't think that, you know, some people really want to draft. Um, and I don't, I don't actually know about that, but I do think that national service is a standard that everybody should, should serve in some way would be really good for the country. And also just to like, get you out of your, get you out of yourself and, and meet other Americans from very different places, um, and walks of life. And then, you know, 
to be trying to achieve something together with them. I think that there's something really valuable in that. Um, and sort of, you know, is the sort of thing that can help you, you know, get a kind of sense of civic pride. You know, I was, I was uh, for the Marine Corps birthday, I was hanging out with some Marines and there was a Marine who was from, he'd been in three, two. Um, I did like, I think he did like five deployments um, and then got medically retired. He got injured. And, um, and he was talking about, you know, one of, one of his friends from the, from the core. And he's like, it's like him and me, we hate each other politically, but he's the greatest Marine I ever served with. And I would fight in any war uh, with him. And I feel like, um, you know, throwing young people together with people very different from them, but, but where they're all trying to achieve something in the service of the country would just be sort of almost like spiritually healthy. Well said. Service to your fellow man is a rent you pay to live on earth. And, and with the, the services, the way it's set up, I remember not, we, we, it's in our family. It's not pressed on us, though. I mean, if, even if you walk in, in here, there's the military plaques up and everything, but in the house, there's not. I mean, there's the flags, yep. and we show that. And if you want to know why we, we show much respect to that, then we can show you. And it, it is. Once you get past it and see it, it's, it's the nuclear family. We have everything they have every, that, that we have as civilians. Matter of fact, I think the reason guys have so much problems when they get out is, is the stuff that gets taken care of when we're in. Medical, dental, and all that. Matter of fact, you get in and out of medical so damn fast, you don't. They don't play around. They tell you you have to go in there. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know why we have problems with the VA. The way, how smooth it is when we're out. Yeah, right. It's you're, not even fun. I mean, they you're, tell you're at, and you go because you can't go play. You can't go do nothing. You're not doing anywhere. You're not going on deployment. You got a deployment? No school until you get your dental. You get your dental. <laughs> that used to right. jam me and my brother up all the damn time. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. And that's the funniest thing. Then when you get out, it's like, well, how, how is that so damn difficult? Because we were, I mean, the whole military runs like that. So you're telling me a handful of civilians on the outside can't get it done. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. But I, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead. Uh, there's a special place in this, in our family's heart for Marines. We have them in our family, and and that's who comes and rescues us. <laughs> in, in Ramadi, and I mean, in Afghanistan. It's like your brother in 06 in Ramadi, buddy. I mean, holy, we were calling. They they took. I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard the stories and everything, man. Those guys. They took. You know exactly where at Ramadi he was at. Was he at? Oh God, I did. Uh, I couldn't off the top. It doesn't. Of it doesn't matter. It's yeah, that, it, was bad. I mean, it was bad all the way around. That we, sucker, had out, we had him out. We had him out in Crigador with us. Mm-hmm. I was at Shark Base. So they had separated us, buddy. It was yeah. And Every the, day. And the Cubs, man. The, the after actions coming in from those guys, especially when they would first come in. 
you know, getting their battle rhythm. You get hit the first couple of months in and the last couple of months in because you're getting your rhythm and then you're losing it because you want to go home. <laughs> but yeah. uh, that place was something. All right, so keep going, bud. Sorry about that. After after service. After after service, what did I do? Well, what did you do before um, service? Oh, before service. Yeah, I mean, I just I was in college. I studied studied English and history. You know, um, how was Dartmouth? Was that cool? I liked it. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful up there. Um, you know, I like to go out and on trail runs. Good, you know, uh, had some really good, uh, really good professors. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, it was, it was great. I had, uh, <laughs> I had one guy when he found out I was joining the Marine Corps had me read, he was like, all right. So like, you know, if you're going to go to war, you need to read everything that the greatest minds have ever thought about war. So he had me read like war and peace and Hemingway short stories and Selene's journey to the end of the night and David Jones and princes and just like thousands and thousands of pages of, of war literature, uh, which, uh, which was great. Uh, uh, before I went out. Yeah. Good, good spot. My wife, I met my wife there. So that's, uh, that's another, uh, oh, she, she's, she's a good one. She stuck, not only is she married a yeah. Marine, she stuck with you through the deployments and everything, huh? Well, so I, we, had, we actually were friends uh, at first, and then I reconnected with her when I got, uh, when I left, when I left the Corps. Um, you know, she was in New York, uh, you know, and, you know, New York dating scene is rough, so all of a sudden I was like a better option. How can uh, that be? Explain that. We don't get that down here. Yeah, you kind of went over something real fast. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of burned For us Southern one. guys, because this is the thing. When I had to go up to New York for the first time, I, it was because difficult. if there was a million women I, standing yeah, in front of us, we, it we wouldn't be a dating it. problem. Mm-mm. No, wouldn't. And I mean, because I that's oh, just we what we're saying. Virtually so talk possible? to women, but if you talk to them when they're in their in their most, there's so much you need to learn. So I'd like to hear from your. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can you break this down for the folks down here? I'm gonna pass it down to my son so Please. he'll know how to talk to the women when he gets up north. <laughs> the dating market in New York. <laughs> in case his travels ever take him uh, that way. Oh man. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I need to know this one too, man. So uh, you said your, your, your dad was in the Peace Corps and your mom was an ambassador to the United Nations, something cool like that, or, you know, she did something. No, How no, did no, you no. wind she, up? She, she worked in international medical aid. So she worked for, That's, yeah, she same worked thing. for, with Catholic charities and then partners in health. So they did like, um, you know, partners in health had like, you know, hospitals and, uh, in Jamaica or, or, um, in Congo or places like that where they're trying to, you know, I mean, help people with medical care that they wouldn't be able to get any other way. So that what did they, what they say when was, you said you were going to be a Marine? Because that's kind of a big deal. Or that's a huge step in the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Not that on, on a tree, uh, every branch grows in a different direction. Well, you know, they but, already had, I mean, it's funny, right? Because neither, neither of my parents were in the service. I mean, my, my, um, my dad's father had been in World War II, uh, but neither of my parents were in the service. And then I'm one of five boys and three of us joined the military, two Marines, one army. I'm not sure what went on there. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Five boys is kind of like constant warfare. So, uh, all right, that changes things. We didn't, we didn't know how to know you had that many siblings. That makes yeah, sense then. Yeah. All right, continue the journey. And then, yeah, so I was the second one. Um, you know, and they, I don't think any parent welcomes the idea of their son joining the military when, you know, during a time of war. Um, you know, they were proud of us for the decision, right? But, like, I mean, I didn't even really realize it until I had kids of my own and started thinking about like what it would be like um, to see them go off to war. 
uh, what that probably did for them. And, you know, it, you know, it's funny, right? Because my job was relatively safe. Um, but it's, it's hard to tell your parents, like, you know, <laughs> like what well, my job is going to be, is not going to be like, you know, where Ben was, right. Uh, my older brother. Um, uh, cause it's sort of, I think it's, it's kind of all one thing, but, um, yeah, well, that's were, not necessarily true because there's not, PAOs not that die. Necessarily thrilled. Yeah, there's PAOs that have been killed in combat, blown up, that's driving true. around. Yeah, so I mean, don't sell yourself short. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's a dangerous job, depending on where you get sent. When did you get started writing? Always. I mean, I always did it. Um, it was always the way that I sort of knew how to make make sense of the world. Right. You know, you try and figure out what you feel about something, you put it in a story and um, and it just gets more complicated. I also think that, you know, I think there's some things that are just vitally important that need to be communicated. Right. So, you know, as I always wrote, but when I came back from Iraq, it felt like there were things that were kind of important to me to try and communicate to people. Right. Because it felt like there was there were things about the military experience that didn't feel like they were being expressed. Right. Um, or the people had kind of a narrow vision, such as, such as, you know, I think that there was a kind of, um, let's put it this way. There was a sort of simple thing. Like when I first joined the military, I'd notice that, you know, people come up and be like, Oh, this badass, you know, like you ever shoot those big guns or whatever, this kind of like very kind of macho thing. Um, and then at a certain point I realized like, people started assuming that I was like broken in some way. Right. Like later on in the year, like, um, uh, you know, was what at a bar, one guy told me like, um, Oh, all Iraq vets are going to be, are going to snap in 10 years after they get back. Right. And he wasn't like trying to be mean. He was trying to like, let me know, you know, I'd been back three at that point. So he had, I had like seven years left, you know? Um, I think there's a kind of like hero victim thing that goes on and just, you know, the, the, the Marine Corps that I knew and, and was this incredibly complicated thing. There were very different jobs that people didn't even think about, right? Like, like being like a mortuary affairs guy, oh. right? Whose job is to pick up, you know, collect the bodies of the dead and prepare them to be sent home, right? And what that job entails and what that means, right? And what that does to you and how you feel about it, um, you know, uh, and and it just seemed like. You know, there's just like little corners of experience that that I wanted to talk about. Um, And so I started writing about it and it felt important to me to sort of open up spaces for for conversations that sort of just kind of went beyond the mold of the of the traditional conversations, but also, you know, talked about things that seemed really important to me that didn't feel like they were being adequately discussed. Right. I mean, it's just very bizarre to, uh, you know, in the middle of my deployment to Iraq. I flew home and went right to New York to like walk down Madison Avenue on a beautiful day when everybody's like in, you know, nice clothes and there's zero public sense that you're a nation at war. And to kind of connect that to the place where you've been, where, you know, Marines are doing incredible things. Um, uh, and, and yet, you know, this country's, is is what sent is what sent you over, right? It's responsible for you know um, for sending folks over, and ultimately, it's going to be responsible for for welcoming those veterans back. You know, I think um, there's a you know Carmelantis is a 
author, Vietnam veteran, spent 30 years working on a book called Matterhorn. And he's, you know, decorated, uh, he has a Navy cross, decorated uh, Vietnam veteran. He has a book called What It's Like to Go to War. And he says, you know, if you ask the, the combat veteran at the gas station what it feels like to kill a man, his probable angry answer will be it doesn't feel like a effing thing. But if you ask the same guy the same question, you know, 40 years later, you might get a different response, right? And for him, that response is going to be not just about who the veteran is, or what they experienced, what they did, um, but it's also going to be about how the, the community helped him reintegrate, right? And, and, um, and that community is going to be shaped by, and, and, and their ability to talk to that veteran is going to be shaped by the stories of, of, of war. The best, um, best compliment I've ever received about my work is, and this has happened a couple times, is um, when a couple tells me that they read my book and then, and then you know, started talking about, you know, the one spouse's deployment that he'd never talked about before because it served as a jumping off point. Right. And I think that that's what, that's what art can do. That's what stories can do. They can sort of serve as this space where you can start to talk about things you don't necessarily know any other angle of getting into. Right. And for any, you know, any aspect of, of human experience that most people aren't familiar with. And in this day and age, the veteran experience is definitely one of those. You need those bridges. Um, so that people aren't just, you know, trapped, not able to connect with people about some of the things, most important experiences that they've been through. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. These things when we come back. We get separated back out to the cities and states that we came out of at different times, mm-hmm. and and the, those stories go along with. But there's always the, the the one of the things about the military is that the stories are created together, right? And and when yeah. you, a lot of times you don't even remember half the stuff you went through because y- your buddy's got your cover on that, right? He's he's the one that was watching mm-hmm. it. Which was the best thing about it at the end of the day when we were around the campfire and when it starts telling those stories about it's it's we looked at it, it was fun it was hard work. Right, it was it was a life. It was getting in there, and then mm-hmm. you, that was really important. What you said. I mean, there's there's jobs in the military. If there's a, if it's in the civilian world, it's in the military, and they're plus a little bit more. Like the that you mm-hmm. can't anticipate the people that have to deal with our dead as they transport those through there. That 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 railroad in itself is is amazing, and it, it gets overlooked. And a lot of times when those guys try to explain it, they don't even know how to. Because somebody usually when mm-hmm. they ask us about what's going on at the war, they want to hear what's going on in the battle, like the daily, mm-hmm. the daily battles and stuff like that, which it's always a battle. We come, come back. The lessons that we pull from that are the ones that ultimately we want to deliver, but the people like what we learned about being away in a, about war, but what they want to hear, what they hear first are the stories of war. And then over time, it kind of, melts into the fact, okay, this is the lessons we should have learned from it. Look at, I mean, World War One, World War II, that's freaking crazy. 
I mean, they're walking across Europe fighting like that. You know, when they got back, I mean, it would changed everything. That, look at that generation. We've been in 20 years of war. What do you think that did to us? <laughs> oh, we're just coming back. I was coming out of it. Everyone thinks yeah. it, been, it hadn't been over. We just, we're just now coming back out of that. Everyone's kind of settling in and settling down. And, and when they separated us, everyone kind of went in their own direction and, and, and got good at something. I mean, I talked to all the boys. It didn't matter what you did with our generation, though, that's different. You, I mean, if, if he and I got to do the things that we did, and it's crazy, and those stories, we, everyone had to be like us. Otherwise, we couldn't have existed. Like, our, 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 the teams and the way we were, we were geared up. It's like when, when you say someone was in Ramadi at 06, that was such a damn fight. We was all in it. I mean, it was crazy over there. And then now it, it seems like as we're getting older, everyone's kind of funneling into those positions of it's a transition of power too in, in our governments and everything. My brother's stepping into it right now. And, and it's great to see what everyone's accomplished. It's like putting the band back together, but everyone's together. We our our, our uniforms, that's kind of how you got into the fraternity, and we kept those separate just like a football team, so we can razz each other and you knew who got what story and then. But now, because we were integrated so well into these wars, it's like been all most of our, our battle stories are integrated with Marines, Air Force, and across the, uh, the pond. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And there's somebody like if one of the guys has a problem coming out or with anything, there's a buddy out there that's really good at it. That can show you how to do anything and put you in the right direction and set you where you need to be. And the the way yeah, the I Vietnam mean, veterans got treated was abysmal. Yeah. We, we, we don't get treated like that. Incredibly important. Yeah. You know, I, I um, you know, it's funny cause you were talking about people going off their separate ways and, you know, you'll see it sometimes cause I, I talk in a lot of like universities and colleges and one Marine that I served with great guy, you know, he went to school, felt totally isolated. He was with like a bunch of, you know, like 18, 19 year old kids. And he told me, you know, he's like, you know, they tell a story and it's like, okay, cool. And then I tell a story and they're like, Oh my God. Right. Um, and so he just sort of stopped talking, um, and felt sort of totally isolated and, and, just, and didn't know any other vets there, even though undoubtedly there were. And, um, you know, I remember I visited the university of Nevada. It was totally different because the vets there had worked with the, the school administration. They knew they had a lot of vets. As soon as the vet came in, um, in a new class, they knew who he was, uh, you know, they connect with him, uh, if, if he was having trouble, there'd be another vet who, you know, was, you know, in his third or fourth year, who'd be able to connect with him. And that, that kind of sort of very um, deliberate community building was kind of amazing to see and really, really helpful for folks. As I think there's that, you know, you're talking about like all the skills that people build in the, in the civilian sector. And I think, you know, folks going from the military, it's a huge transition out. And there's a period where I think it's, it's pretty difficult because it's such a different world. Over time, I think the vets tend to have just a lot of skills and assets that they bring, right, in in the civilian world. Um, but that kind of critical transition period, it makes a big difference if there's like a, if there's, you know, uh, organizations and communities that people can reach out to and be connected to. I tell you what, the way I had to do it in my head is I never got out. The way mm -hmm. I rotated off the line into where we're sitting right now, I never came out of the military. I just took the uniform off. My new assignment, while I was in, they pulled me off the line. I had to go do the book thing. And then after that, they assigned me to do the movie thing. And while I was in the middle of that, 
I could always go back and they, I was protected on high ground. I could get it. I mean, they, and even though I didn't have the uniform on. And then when it became time to marriage, I was like, okay, my assignment, I get to hook up with this hot chick. We're going to have some kids. I'm, and I got to raise them, make sure they get to school. And just that she's had, I mean, I team guide that like you can't believe. I still do. I would hear guys saying there's no job description for a sniper on the outside world. I was like, my brother and I are snipers. We don't, not that description, but what goes into making that up, that, that particular qual. You never lose those. Imagine your life is the academy. It's the core. <laughs> and, and, and having well, kids well, we and, and being married baby, is like I a field like, trial. Oh. Yeah, exactly. That's how I, yeah. when that started happening, this I was is, like, cool. this, is, this is good training. <laughs> right? Because you can easily get frustrated. Like when you go back, when Mojo, I'll never forget this, when Mojo went back to school, man. He took this one for the team. And uh, two, we, we were all fired up. Anytime we get a new endeavor, I mean, I fire him up more about it and vice versa. And I'm like, he's like, man, two weeks into, he's like, bro, I'm back in school. This is terrible. I got to sit in traffic. I was like, no, it's going to be great, man. You're going to get an education <laughs> because you, you forget that. You forget that part, man. And it's just. Yeah. Grad school was a doom. <laughs> Tell us uh, what's your never quit story. If you have one. You know, when you guys asked me this, I, um, the first story that came to mind, I figured I should tell it because it was actually really important to me, like, uh, you know, and, and, and where I ended up, but, um, it might not be, I mean, you know, I think some of the folks in the, that you've had before have these kind of incredibly inspiring, never quit stories. I figured that some of your listeners might have occasions where they have to never quit because they've gotten themselves into a bad spot through sheer dumb dumbassery. No, and that is uh, that's that a is real word. That's not, a real word. Quit story. Yep, uh, is me being a dumbass. So I was like, it's like sixteen or seventeen, uh, and I was visiting family in Montana, and I went out hiking in the mountains on my own. It was a beautiful day, and I had a little day pack, and I had the the Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky in my bag, which is, I was reading it for the first time. It's probably the greatest novel ever written, I think. Oh, and, right. um, which one? I'm sorry, say that again. Which one do you? Th the Brothers, the Brothers Karamazov oh. uh, by Dostoevsky. And, um, and so I'm out and I see these beautiful white cliffs and they're just gorgeous. And I kind of want to climb them. I like climbing things. Now, I didn't actually, I didn't know how to climb really, right? I would just, sort of climb cliffs and rocks. So are you saying this is one of like those spontaneous idiot. things that we were talking about first thing at the show? Totally spontaneous. Yeah. This would be my spontaneous. There you I'm, go, Patreon. I'm, like, I'm alone. It's stupid to, you know, climb off trail, you know, when there's nobody around, but whatever, like beautiful day, beautiful cliffs. It's going to be awesome. I'll get up to the top and I'll read this book and it's going to be wonderful. So I get up and I get about midway up the cliff and I'm pretty high. Um, High enough that like <laughs> I definitely would have broken a lot of things if I've fallen and maybe it would have just sort of straightforwardly killed me if I'd fallen. Um and I've got two good handholds and I've got like an okay foothold and I go up um to like another foothold and I put my weight on it and it breaks under my right foot. And then I like sort of jolt down. And because I put all my weight on my left foot, it breaks that as well. And the rock just kind of crumbles. And then I'm sort of just hanging from the cliff with my, uh, uh, you know, just from the two sort of good handholds. And now I've just broken the, the holds that I used to get up to where I was. Um, and I don't see any other way of uh, going either forward or back. 
And so I was just sort of like hanging there um, for what seemed like a very long time and sort of like looking down and being like, all right, like I'm a, I'm a moron. Like I'm going to uh, hang here for a while. And then, and then eventually I'm going to get tired. I'm going to fall. And then I'm just going to be best case scenario, broken well off the trail at the bottom of this cliff. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not a good day. So, uh, eventually I just start like, just trying shit because what else do I have to do? That's the best way to say that. And, uh, I, now I didn't like, as I said, I didn't know how to climb. There's a fairly basic technique called stemming, right. That people would know. Um, and, but I, you know, I didn't know since I'm trained to do any of this. I basically am able to get to a place where I sort of essentially do a push up, a pull up and I'm, and I put my right leg sort of far out where the rock face comes out a little. So I'm able to, even though there's nothing to stand on, I can get some pressure against the rock face uh, on my right side and then kind of pressure against the rock face uh, with my left. And I am able to sort of leverage that into just, just enough, uh, to get up, get to another handhold, keep climbing. And I get to the top and sit up at the top. And then I'm like, okay, you know, uh, <laughs> I nearly just killed myself. That was, that was something. And then I pull out the book and I open, I open, open the book. And it's the sort of rebellion and grand inquisitor chapter of, um, of Dostoevsky. So this is like, I've never read it before. It's, it's probably, it's one of the greatest moments in Russian literature, but Dostoevsky was this intense writer who, you know, he'd originally been involved in leftist politics. Uh, he'd been arrested uh, and then gone through a mock execution where the Tsar, like, you know, everybody had been put up, they, they, they're, they're, you know, there's like a firing squad, they're ready to kill them. And then like somebody comes out and they didn't know this, but it was all staged. And there's like a pardon from the, from the czar. And then they all go off to, to Siberia uh, for a couple of years. And Dostoevsky was really religious and slept with the, the New Testament uh, under his pillow while he was in Siberia. And he came back very much at odds with sort of like intellectual Russian culture. And in these chapters, he sort of has a character mount, probably one of the strongest attacks against religion um, that's ever been penned. But he does it not because Dostoevsky was an atheist, but because he wanted to face the strongest assault against religion, sort of give it full form, and then have a novel that would be sort of powerful enough to include that in it and include the sort of what he felt was the ultimate truth, right? Uh, and he was a Christian. I was, I'm, you know, I'm a Catholic myself. And so, you know, at a moment like that, when you feel like you've almost died and you're sitting out on this beautiful cliff, looking out into, you know, a valley in the mountains in, in Montana, reading one of the most profound things that has ever been put to page. I think it was, it was just one of those formative moments, right? Um, and I think that that was... One of those things is that that thing that I felt as I was reading it, which was this intense excitement and 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 and, and connection, um, that was something that I wanted to try and do with my own work. 
That's probably one of the best stories I've ever heard of inspiration down? to start to writing. <laughs> yeah, to, to writing. Like if you, you know when you get writer's block. Yeah. I just walked on the back. These. Yeah, come to find out, there was a damn road right out the back there. Who yeah. knew? There were stairs just right there. Way down. <laughs> Got a water fountain and everything. Uh, <laughs> All right. I like if you ever get that where you don't need to write or you're looking for something to write. I mean, that's, you think about those moments are the ones that that's that's a good point to start from because you you can always bounce back to it for inspiration. You start in there. Yeah. At at death with. You're at the worst moment around death, and the most profound moment shows up right after that. Then that has to be the base for whatever it is you're starting and where you're going. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things also about, like, writing about war, right? I mean, like, war is, you know, people are interested in war for a whole variety of reasons. But as a writer, I think one of the things that 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 I've noticed talking to people, and this is one of the things that's kind of amazing, sort of the, the podcast I'm doing uh, that's associated with the PBS show, American Veteran, is that people have been through very intense experiences. It's not just that the experiences themselves are really interesting, right? But that as you reflect on them afterwards, right, it forces people into this place where they, you know, thinking back on what they've been through, or what's happened, forces them to think, I think, more deeply about life, right? So, you know, and, and so for, you know, your listeners who don't know, I'm, I'm the host of this podcast that's associated with American Veteran, which is a, it's a documentary that PBS put on in four parts where they sort of take kind of like you know, tons of different veterans from different wars, all these different interviews, and they sort of, each episode is kind of tied thematically around a particular kind of common experience of veterans, whether it's training or going to war, returning home, things like that. And once they had done this, the producers realized that they had all of these like really amazing, just absolutely incredible life stories of veterans that in the TV show, they couldn't, they couldn't have them told. So they figured that they would do a podcast where they would, each episode would be one veteran telling their life story, you know, who they were before they joined, what they did when they got in and what they did after, uh, you know, after they got out. And so it's a very different kind of experience. And you get like, you know, the first one that we did was Shoshana Johnson, who's the first black female POW, right? Um, you know, and some folks might be familiar with her, her story. She lives in Texas. Um, and she's really funny, right? She actually tells, you know, she's a good storyteller. She's really interesting. It's an intense story. It's, an, it's a, you know, harrowing at points. Um, uh, but in addition to, you know, the story, you get her whole life. And you know, what she did afterwards and how that experience caused her, you know, had her connect with other members of her family. You know, she comes from a military family who'd also served, right? Um, who were you know, sort of in relation to what happened with her, started processing some of the things that they had been through. Um, really tremendous, you know. Um, we got like, uh, and it's just, you know, it's just the whole kind of range of, of people's reaction to intense things, right? They're like veterans who, who hated the war, right? Um, you know, there's one veteran who became a conscientious objector who we profile. There's another one, Edward Fields, a World War II veteran who, you know, was on a bomber crew, which is one of the most dangerous things you could be doing in World War II. A full quarter of the planes that we put into the sky went down. And he kept volunteering for missions because he just enjoyed the excitement of it and he couldn't stop. Yeah, it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. I uh, couldn't get enough of it. Sure. 
No, it's funny too because the the opening of that piece, you know, he's like he's like in, in his nineties, right? He's an old guy, and he's like, you know, just it's like I just the excitement was, you know, I just couldn't stop. And they're like, and, and the producer's like, do you ever find anything to match it? He's like, well, sex. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the comedy. I was thinking about that. So imagine the humor. That it's going to come out of that. So you you, th- you hear all these stories when the when we're in and we're going through all these and the, how extreme they can get. It's like pulling you out of your mm-hmm. life, throwing it back into it without all the rules, or the rules are in there but you don't know what to do. And then when you come yeah. back and and you hear some of these guys complaining about the situations you get in, and it, most of the time, if you like step back and look at it, it's because they're so hardcore and the situation yeah. they get in is not right. It normally wouldn't even piss you off. It wouldn't even come up on your radar if it wasn't the fact that you're by yourself, out of your element. So, like, you have this thing that can really just mess stuff up, hurt people, and this, that, and the other, and something tr- like little bitty is what sets them off. That's pure comedy, actually. Yeah. It's, it's pure comedy. Yeah. And, and, and when the comedians try to do dark comedy and they don't know what they're doing, that's when it gets mean and ugly. And that's a huge difference. But if you have somebody willing to, and it's usually it has to be pointed out, but the funniest laughs I get is when I'm watching somebody who's real a real badass going through something that they had to go through as a toddler, right? And they don't, they don't, and it, and it bothers them because it shouldn't. And that, that's how kids laugh because they see that, and and that's usually how your family gets a laugh out of you as well when you're when you're having to do that. It's like when my dad would get mad about the stupidest stuff, man. He was the toughest guy, but. Um, there are there are that all those stories you you can read it one way and yeah it, it sucks this way but you could also read it again and put that humor in there like we we do that's the only oh, reason yeah. we can make it for whatever reason we get out we pull that it, it like stays in the family while you're in the uniform that kind of humor it, like it only that circle of trust it's only in there it's the weirdest thing the minute you get out it it, it, it kind of disappears which it shouldn't but it does I mean some of the funniest books that have ever been written are written about war mm-hmm. right. It's not, you know, it's not because it's not serious, but I mean, there's a scene in uh, Goodbye to All That, which is Robert Graves' memoir, who's a British British officer in, in the trenches in World War One, And there's like a, it's a great scene in the memoir where, you know, there's this officer who's, who's like briefing the attack, you know, and he's like, um, you know, we're doing what is called a diversionary attack. And he's like explaining it and, and their role and, and, and what's going to happen. And then he sort of finishes the brief and he, and he turns to the guys and he goes, of course, we're all going to die. And then the next line is, everybody laughed. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if MASH did so well, that like the, the uh, hospital drama, which is chaos and a nightmare. I mean, you've been in there. In Ramadi, the, the, yeah. those cash units were always full. It, it was crazy. Yeah. Right? And, and, you, and you can find that, that chaos, that calamity and chaos and that humor inside of that. And that, what that does, man, is it enables you to laugh at damn near everything else. I mean, yeah. when you've seen some of that nightmare, and remember how old we are when we're over there. That's why we're young, 20s, late teens, kind of doing all that. Come yeah. back, and the, the, in, the in-between is, is like having to regrow up. And then afterwards, it, I don't know, I, I, talking to as many people as we do and seeing the things we do, man, it's just, it changes us. Can't help it. That's a crazy thing, especially as I get older. Like, even when I was leaving the Marine Corps, and you'd see a unit of Marines back from deployment to Afghanistan, like just how young some of those kids are, right? Crazy, and right? They, especially like the Afghan deployments because they come back all skinny because mm. they've just been doing patrols um, 
and they'd have the kind of raccoon eyes because they'd have you know they'd be wearing their eyes so they'd be all sun sun tanned and then have kind of lighter lighter spots around their eyes um so what's next what do you got on the horizon after all this (laughs) uh keep writing books um you know keep talking about talking about war i i um i've been interviewing some um some uh, I, I write some journalism sometimes, and I've been interviewing some Afghans who worked for the U.S. but didn't get out uh, during Afghanistan. So a piece about some of those stories, which are pretty harrowing. Um, the kind of last days were really, really rough. Um, you know, there's a guy who's got he's got three daughters, uh, a baby, his wife's pregnant, and you know you can imagine you, know, you got three girls, and the Taliban comes in. You just think you know, what does this mean for my family's future? Um, you know, what is, what is there for my daughters here now the Taliban is in charge? They'd already had to flee their home in 2015 because of, uh, he got death threats, but then they fled when their, his daughter started getting death threats at her school, uh, for the family. So they fled the home once, uh, didn't get out of, um, then they were back in Kabul, uh, were never able to get, permanent residence outside of Afghanistan. He was in the sort of SIV pipeline, which is the special immigrant visas. And then, you know, when it fell, uh, fell to the Taliban, him and his family were just stuck. And, you know, they got like a letter from a congressman saying they should be let through. But uh, things were, you know, as everybody saw, pretty chaotic. Yeah. Uh, wow. so, yeah. And I've been talking to some of the vets who've been working with, uh, working with Afghans, trying to, trying to help them out. Cause there were a lot of folks who like, you know, they got people over there, you know, one, one army, army vet that I talked to, you know, his interpreter is in the States, but his family is still in, um, in Afghanistan. He was like, you know, this guy saved my life on multiple, multiple occasions. Why would I ever stop doing everything I can to try and help his family out? Yeah. Well, the good thing about our generation, our boys too, man, the, the, the expendables are real. Like we'll go. Mm. Eventually, what'll happen is is the civilians, the guys that rotate out of military, they'll start going back over and get. That's already happened. Leave leave nobody behind. I mean, even the government, they get their hands locked for whatever reason because they probably want to do anything. Or however it works, I don't know, but I know that they're doing that because they they did. They helped us out, man. Some of the turfs that would run with us, freaking incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, I don't think a lot of people understand. Like they hear interpreter, they think it's like oh, okay, he's just doing translations, and they don't really understand how essential Turks were um, and the extent of the things that they did um, for some of these guys. Some of ours was like, hey man, you know the stories you see on TV and the war and how they fight and like all the crazy and you, you see the James Bond walks in those different languages and he's always dressed kind of cool. That's them guys. They're the ones that they kind of. It was always intense for them. Because they were always going out in the front. Phil, of all the stories you've helped share, what is one moment or story or piece of advice you've kind of heard through all these stories about never quitting, about perseverance? I mean, I think that this is one of the things that, uh, <laughs> actually one of the vets in the in American veteran mentioned, but that was really impressed me as well that like, like you think you can't take another step. You can always take another step. Right. Um, that your limits, what you think of as your limits in terms of, 
endurance, exhaustion, whatever, um, that there's a sort of mental component to that. And when oh. you don't have any other option, you can you can push yourself further. You and talking, I think talking, talking about Goggins? That, <laughs> sounds like you're talking about Dave. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that that, that I took away. The, the You know, we were going through training. The sergeant instructors always used to tell us, you are not tired. You don't know what tired is. Um, <laughs> and the guys who went through seer school were like, I know what tired is. <laughs> now nah, I'm pretty sure I know what tired is. Yeah. Then you get to those moments. <laughs> I, we're falling, I was, when you're falling was, asleep running, I thought I knew what tired was until we fell asleep and watching guys <laughs> fall asleep paddling a boat, falling asleep un, underwater. And we're running, dude. That that's that's tired. Well, Phil, man, thanks for being on. How can people listen to the podcast? How can people support you and what you've got going on as well? Yeah, so it's American Veteran Unforgettable Stories. Um, check it out. There's just some, I mean, some amazing, you know, Frank DeVita tells a story from, he was at D-Day and, you know, letting people off the boats in the first wave at D-Day. Um, and, you know, his story is just, you know, I you start listening, you're not going to be able to stop. I mean, there's just there's some incredible things there. So any, any podcast app, you know, you'll be able to find American veteran, unforgettable stories. You can check out the, the documentary on the PBS website or, uh, as well. And I'm just, you know, Phil Kwai. So, uh, you can find me, you know, um, my books are in stores if you're interested. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. No, I appreciate it, bro. Thanks for doing that, man. Seriously. Cause when we were discussing this earlier, the only way the young warriors and everybody learn about the, the, the stories and what we go through is they have to tell them like the old guys have to tell them. And we, yeah. we all know how that, how difficult that is. I mean, we have to be around each other. You used to have to, somebody, some beer involved and it usually goes that way, but just getting all that out and putting that down, that, that in itself is the history of how this place was actually formed and protected. Those are the real stories and they're the best. They're, they're, they're the best. They're so good. There's so much detail and, and, and excitement that goes into a, uh, just one of those stories could fill somebody for a lifetime. And some of those guys yeah. get to experience them daily. So thanks for doing that, brother, man. God bless you. Have a great day, service. buddy. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend. Leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already. Let us know what you think about the show. And go check out their podcast. American Veteran Unforgettable Stories is available anywhere you get your podcast. So grateful to have those guys on. Hey, make sure you follow us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social. We will see you guys next week. Next week.